we look today at Hebrews 3, 7 to 19. We've been spending time in the opening chapters of Hebrews this year, where we've been taught that because Jesus has been tempted and because he suffered for us, that he is able to help us when we are tempted. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters in the family of God. We gain freedom from death through faith in Jesus. We receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus. But the book of Hebrews, it, it works that, that there, are, there are theological sections which uplift us and encourage us, and then there are sections of warning that press down against us. And so this is a warning that today's passage is a warning. This is a passage in which the truth about who Jesus is is then applied to our lives. And so Hebrews here in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, has a quotation from the Old Testament, from Psalm 95, a warning about what happened in the Old Testament, a warning that is still true for us today. So let's listen to the Word of God. This is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Hearing the word of God, now let's come to him in prayer. God of grace and mercy, I pray that as you teach us from your word that your Holy Spirit would be active, that we would understand the, the warning that comes, that we would not be comfortable until we repent and turn to you in faith, till we find comfort and salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, let us not trust in ourselves or our, our own past actions, but Lord, let your word press into our hearts. May your spirit be active in our midst. Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do not turn away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. Hebrews 3 provides us with a recipe for revival. Hearts focused on God in a community of gospel hope. Now, you've likely heard the news coming out of Kentucky. Revival services taking place at Asbury University. An ordinary worship service began there. A one-hour-long worship service on February 8th is still continuing. 
uh, a fresh and powerful sense of the presence of God's Spirit ha- is, is there among worshipers who, who didn't leave when the hour was up and haven't left since, that people from around the country, national news uh, reporting on the story, people gathering to, to give praise to God. Now, my church history professor, one of my professors, Michael Hakins, he gives a reminder of the impact of spiritual revivals in the history of America. He points us back to Jonathan Edwards, the, the great theologian, maybe the greatest theologian in American history, the, the theologian of, of colonial America, who was a pastor at the time of the first great awakening in colonial New England. In 1734 and 35, revival came to his own congregation. And, and he gave this description, which, which I think helps even us think today about how God works through revival. That real revival, true revival, is revival that is a work of God. It's not something that can be, be worked up from among us. It's not just an emotional response. There, there is no special stop that you can pull out on this instrument that will bring about revival. No, it's a work of God at the initiative of God. And, and in, in revival, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to, to impact the people of God. That it's, it's the work of God's Spirit using the Word to change the church. Yes, revival often ends up bringing about a new wave of evangelism. But revival is really about what happens in the church, among the people already in the pews, the way that God brings new life to them, a new sense of their, their brokenness and sinfulness, an awareness of the holiness and power of God. And so a revival is really just an intensification of what the Spirit is ordinarily doing. The Spirit of God convicting us of sin, converting unbelievers. The Spirit of God testifying to the work of Christ. And so as we pray for ongoing revival in our community, and not just the community several states away, but here in this community, in this place. We today hear the warning of the Spirit for us. Because if revival is the work of God's Spirit, look at the way our passage begins. Even as the author of Hebrews introduces an Old Testament quotation, look at the beginning of verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says... The Spirit of God, the interpreter and author of Scripture, the one who brings that, the, the truth of Scripture to bear on our lives. The Spirit of God bringing to us today a warning. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. We need to hear the voice of our Savior. We have to turn away from unbelief and put our trust in in the God who has announced salvation to us. Because this passage is a warning against unbelief. That's actually the, the, the title that the, the editors of, or the translators of the Bible I have in front of me give to it. But the warning is, is easy to hear. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. Now, these words, as you can see from the footnote at the bottom of your page, are from Psalm 95. They're from the Old Testament. Or maybe you think, those sound sort of familiar. Well, if you've been worshiping with us, then you heard this passage read and preached back in December. We looked at Psalm 95, 96, 97, and 98 in the Christmas season. 
which also connected us back to the historical account when we were in the book of Exodus in November, where we, from Psalm 95, saw back to the, the wilderness wanderings of God's people. Because it was in Exodus 17 that the people of God, having been rescued by God, suddenly and consistently complain. So that Moses names the place Meribah and Massa, a place of testing and quarreling, where they didn't believe what God had said. These are the people that saw God through the miracles of the plagues bring rescue to God's people. The ones who saw the walls of water stack up and walked across dry land. And then when they got thirsty, they said, have you brought us out here to die? People who had believed in God now responding in unbelief. But tragically, if, when you read through the Old Testament, it's, it's not that, oh, well, we found that one spot in the Bible where they were disobedient, where they were unbelieving. No, tragically in the Bible, it's, it's, it's over and over again that people who have heard the good news turn their backs on God and turn away from God. And so Hebrews 3 is building on the, the rebellion of God's people in Numbers 14. God has has sent, the, the, the people were rescued from Egypt, not just to get into the wilderness, but they were rescued from Egypt to travel through the wilderness. The wilderness is just the pathway to get them to the promised land. And so they're there on the precipice of the promised land, and, and even the fact that we call it the promised land, it was a promise made by God that he was going to give it to them. And so God said, here, ready to enter the promised land, send 12 spies into the land to, to see what, what I'm promising to you. But tragically, the report that came back from those 10 spies was, we're not going to be able to do this. We should, we should turn around and give up. We, we will be crushed like, like grasshoppers by the giants who live in the land. There were two men who were faithful to God, who said, no, God has made the promise, and so we must go. But in their disobedience, what happens in Numbers 14, which is explained to us in Hebrews 3, is that God says, Every one of you, well, except the two that remained faithful, every one of you that saw the miracles of the plague, that saw the miracles of the Red Sea, but has turned away in unbelief, every one of you will die in the wilderness and will not enter the rest of the promised land. Numbers 14 is, quoted, or is, is referenced in our section about the people who, who experienced the wrath and judgment of God for their sin and rebellion. But, but last week, we, we saw that, that the first half of chapter 3 also quoted and referenced the book of Numbers. Now, I don't actually expect you to have remembered that detail from last week. Maybe your notes are so thorough that you could flip a page and say, oh, I see Numbers 12 is written, because that's what I had to do. I had to look back at my notes from last week and say, wasn't I just in the book of Numbers? Didn't we just? Oh, that was last week. Because in Numbers 12, we, we found that there was only one man who, who could be considered faithful among all of God's people. Moses. He was the only faithful servant, and Jesus is the one greater than Moses. And it's as if, sitting in, in the middle of, of the book of Numbers, the author of Hebrews says, oh yeah, but the unfaithfulness of the people just keeps getting worse. They don't even enter the rest of God because the promised land is taken away from them because of their sin and rebellion. And so we go from, from Numbers 12 to Numbers 14 to see the, the destruction that comes to the people. Because the warning here in Hebrews 3 is a warning against unbelief. 
It's repeated for us. After this quotation from Psalm 95, verse 12 and verse 19 repeat the warning to us about unbelief. Look at verse 12, back in Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It, it, it comes with a, with a big announcement, see to it, be careful. It's a, it's a serious and sober warning being offered to the church. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And the danger of unbelief is repeated for us at the end of the passage I read in verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The warning here is against those who don't believe in the promises of God or in the truth of God. And so they receive God's punishment. We see in verse 10, this quotation from Psalm 95, that, that God was angry with them because their hearts had gone astray. Then in verse 11, God promised that they would not enter his, heavenly, his, his earthly rest of the promised land. And we, in, in reading verses 16 through 18, where those questions are thrown out, who were they who heard and rebelled? They were the very same people who saw the miracles of God in the promised land. Who were they who, who, with whom God was angry for 40 years? It was the ones whose, who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert. To whom did God swear they would never enter his rest? It was those who disobeyed. There is real punishment that comes against the people of God. They were promised a, an earthly rest from their journey, from their slavery in the promised land. But, but the promise you and I get is even bigger and better than that. And we'll spend more time on this in the coming weeks because chapter 4 will, will expand this truth about the rest of God. That it's, that it's a spiritual rest. If, if they were promised an earthly rest, you and I are promised a spiritual rest. If their rest was temporary, ours is eternal in heaven, in the kingdom of God. But, but notice with me that what happens here in the, in the book of Hebrews is that every time we, we see a comparison between Jesus and something in the Old Testament, the contrast is great. So we think about angels, and then we think about the greatness of Jesus. We think about Moses, the only one who is a faithful servant, and then Jesus, who is the Son. The contrast is always about the greatness of Jesus. But when, when you and I are compared with the people of the Old Testament, well, actually, there's a lot of continuity. Just as they were in danger of disobeying, so you and I are in danger of disobeying. Just as they saw the promises of God and yet turned their backs on God, so you and I have heard the promises of God and yet are in danger of turning our backs on God. And, and we see this, this continuity here in, in the, the way that, that the author of Hebrews takes the very first word he quoted from Psalm 95. We heard it in verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice. It's repeated for us in verse 15, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice. And we're told in verse 13 that as long as it is called today, you need to heed this warning. Because you and I live in the, the today of Psalm 95. Psalm 95 was, of course, looking back to to Numbers 14, to Exodus 17, the rebellion of God's people, to Meribah and Massa, they're testing and, and wandering. But, but the today was that day for the people who read Psalm 95. That today is today 
for us. Every day is a a successive today in in the warning that you and I have. Because we share with the people of the Old Testament the fact that we're living in the tension between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise. They were promised rescue and entrance into the promised land. And they were living in the time between when that promise was fulfilled. You and I live having heard the promise of Jesus that he is coming again. The one that who entered heaven and was ascended there will return the same way to bring about his kingdom. You and I live in that tension. And so the today of Psalm 95 is today, today. Yesterday was today. Tomorrow, well, I actually can't promise you tomorrow. If we get to tomorrow, then tomorrow will be today. Now, of course, that's, that's not just a semantic phrase about the way we use the word today in English. I mean, it will be the today when the warning of the Holy Spirit to repent and to turn back to God is pressed upon you. But I don't know if you will have a tomorrow, whether you personally or whether we as a church, because today could be the day in which Jesus fulfills his promise and returns, and so today is the day in which you are given the warning. The the same today which was given as a warning in the Old Testament, the same today that was given as a warning to the people in the first century church is the today that you and I face right now. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And yet, because the contrast between Jesus and the promise that they heard in the Old Testament is, is great, then the today that you and I hear is an even louder today. If they died because of their sin and did not enter God's promise. But you and I have heard from Jesus about his promise, then how much greater the warning offered to us. We're in the same place, the tension of waiting for the promise of God, but the promise you and I have is so much greater than the promise that they had. And so the warning should be all the much louder to us today. Today will last until Jesus comes again, but it could end today. And so today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. And so this passage weighs heavy upon us as we hear the warning of God, as we feel the the guilt of our own sin, as we see the, the power and majesty of God. And yet this passage offers us hope. Verse 12, when it comes with this command, see to it, brothers, It also offers us a a glimmer of hope here. Look back at verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. Now, of course, this means we need to stop and take personal inventory for ourselves. We need to say, where do I stand with God? Have I hardened my heart? Am I one who who saw the miraculous promises of God and believed and yet have subsequently hardened my heart against God's truth? But it's more than just personal introspection because what is the solution offered against a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God? Look at the verse that comes next. Verse 12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but... Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What is the solution to deal with the deceitfulness in your own heart? 
It's a brother or sister in Christ encouraging you in the gospel. Because do you know what I'm really good at doing? Justifying my own sin. Overlooking my own sin. Sort of slowly creeping my way into sin and saying, well, you know, I think I'm okay here. And I just take tiny little baby steps. Now, do you know whose sin I'm really good at spotting? Yours. Everyone else's. Because I think, of course, I wouldn't have done it if at some level I didn't think this made some sense to me. But I look at you and say, there is no possible decision-making process that, was, that could have led to any good that left you with that decision as an outcome. And so when I'm caught up in sin and the deceitfulness of sin, when I'm tempted to be hardened, what do I need? I need your daily and consistent encouragement. So, yes, we could take the approach that when we say encourage one another daily, that means just never leave this room. Just every day, stay in this same place. And thankfully, God brings about revival like that in some instances. But his ordinary way of working is that you and I stay involved in each other's lives every day. That you follow up with somebody from your community group and say, hey, I've been thinking about the way God's word is working in my own life. Here's something I read in my my devotional reading today, or here's something we study together in community group, or, or here's something from last Sunday's sermon that I've been, that I've been pressed with. I, I wanted to share it with you, and I wanted to ask you, where do you see the deceitfulness of sin getting a hold of my life? That you're inviting other people into your life. So because the, the command here is that you're involved in everyone's else, in every other Christian's life, because you're a necessary tool to work against sin. And I think this warning is, is perhaps even more, more serious for us today than it even was for the Christians hearing it the first time. Because they're in a pattern of meeting together daily. So they're already involved in each other's lives at this deep level. And yet I think maybe the danger is you and I have separated ourselves from needing other people's involvement in our lives. I mean, even just take, in, in the course of my, my decades of ministry here at Faith, the way that in, in just my, the span of my pastoral ministry, the expectation of just how frequently you would be involved in a worship service has changed. Now, some of you were thinking, Kevin, I've been here every Sunday that you've been here, and I've been here some that you weren't here, because you were gone for like a whole summer recently. So, so some of you, you, you've kept that pattern. But it has shifted from, from a, a previous generation when, when should you show up at church? Well, when they turn on the lights and unlock the door. Like, I should just be there all of those times. To getting to the place where, well, you know, if I can make it, you know, I'll, I'll try and make it most of, most of the time on a, on a Sunday. And of course, of course, there are seasons of life when tragedy or illness will keep you from gathering with God's people. Or where, where, you know, you have symptoms and I don't want you sharing whatever sickness you have. I want you to stay away. But I think we've gotten to the place where, well, if I show up a couple times a month, that's, I mean, that's pretty good attendance, right? I mean, look around at the people I don't see here and that you don't see here and that aren't here frequently. Or we go from, well, you know, maybe once a month, that, that'll be enough. Or, or when, it, when it fits. Now, maybe you're at a spot where you're thinking, well, I need to make a change. 
Well, let this passage be an encouragement to you. But if you are hardened by sin's deceitfulness, then just consider if you've got children or the other children in the church, the message you're communicating to them about how significant meeting with God is, how significant being involved with the people of God is if, well, you only go when it sort of fits. But if something else more important, and there are lots of things you could slot into the more important slot, if that comes up, well, then God in rank fits beyond all those other things which were obviously more important. Or because you and I have the responsibility to one another to help our brothers and sisters in the gospel deal with the hardness that comes through sin's deceitfulness, think about what, by your lack of of participation, you have stolen from your brothers and sisters in Christ. They've been left without someone to come alongside them. They've lost the example of someone in the midst of sorrow and tragedy who can still, maybe with tears running down your face, but can still say the confession of faith, who can hold on to the truths of Scripture. Because you and I are tempted when things get difficult, when life presses against us, to sort of step away. Because we don't want people messing in our lives. We don't want people pressing into our lives. But slowly as we step away and distance ourselves from the people of God, then we harden our own hearts. And eventually we just turn our backs on God and, and wander away. And yet what the, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, but encourage one another daily. Now this passage, it's, it's one of the places in the book of Hebrews that, that makes us uncomfortable. One, because we don't like anybody messing in our lives too much. But also it it comes with some serious conditional statements. There are ifs in this passage. And it feels like, is our hope conditional upon our actions? I mean, look at the, the warning that, that comes in verse, verses 7 and 8 in the warning of Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Or, or, or more forcefully, verse 14, this direct application to the church Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Now, you and I might be tempted to say, but I'm a Reformed Presbyterian, and so I know that that if is meaning, well, God is really holding on to me. And so God will hold on to me in the end, so even if I let go of God, I'm still safe because God holds on to me. See, we sort of slip aside the, the real warning of this passage by just making it conditional. Well, I, but that's a condition that could never happen to me. I could never be in a place where I would really be at that kind of risk because, you know, once saved, always saved, and so I'm probably saved. I think I'm, I'm ready to go. And so we sort of use our theology to shrug off the warning that the Spirit of God brings to us because the warning might actually be coming to you, the, 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 the need for revival is not because of what's happening in the world out there. It's because of what's not happening in here, in our own hearts, because of the ways we've turned away from God. And remember, even the way that, that we as Presbyterians help summarize this truth, we sometimes, we, we always give it the letter P because it has to fit at the end of tulip. We sometimes call it the preservation of the saints, that God is the one preserving us. But more frequently, Presbyterian theologians remind us this is the the perseverance of the saints, that because God holds on to you, you can hold on to him. You can hold firmly to the faith that you had at the beginning. 
And so if you do, then you know that you belong to him. Because while if you are really saved, you can never lose your salvation, God will hold on to you. You will lose the assurance of your salvation. You will, in the hardness of your heart, then begin to wander away from God. And and the, the real danger is that you've been here hearing this gospel message, maybe even since childhood, without ever really responding. And so we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. You and I will share in Christ. Now, now of course, in the, in the language of the Apostle Paul, that means our, our union, our fellowship with Christ. Here, it, it means, I think, in the broader context of, of Hebrews 3, our relationship with Jesus as our brother, that we will share in the coming kingdom of God, that everything that belongs to him as the, the returning king, will be, we will be part of that. We will have a share in Christ's kingdom. But it comes with the real warning that we have to hold firmly to the end. But you and I, if we respond, we have this gospel hope. And think of what the Spirit of God is doing for us today. He's saying, today, if you hear God's voice, turn back to him. Today, if you, if you feel conviction of your sin, if you feel the guilt of your sin, well, then confess your sin and find your hope in Jesus, the Savior who is coming again. Because you and I belong to the kingdom of God. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus. He welcomes us in. We need not be counted among the bodies that fall in the wilderness, left behind without hope of God's rest. What is offered to you today is the eternal, the perfect rest that is given to us by the Son of God. You have the great joy of, of bringing that gospel hope to one another, of, of following up with one another to say, do you hear this good news of, of pressing this truth deep into the life of someone, of somebody who, who is hardened by sin to help turn them back toward the gospel, of somebody who, who's wandering from the, the fold of God to, to warn them. You have the great privilege of being used by God to destroy the deceitfulness of sin in someone else's life. And so today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts, for you have come to share in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that your word is, is painfully honest with us. That where we would be content to find, find words of comfort and encouragement, you bring conviction to us. God, where we would be comfortable taking steps further and further away from you, you shout to warn us that by your Spirit you graciously speak to us. And so, Lord, for those that, that hear this gospel message today and who have never responded in faith, Lord, today, let them confess their sins. Let today be the day of salvation. For those who, who feel like they have wandered, Lord, let today be an encouragement to them that they can reconnect and be re-enveloped into the community of your people, the people who receive the gift of salvation through the ministry of Jesus our Savior. Remind them that they share in Christ and in his kingdom. And Lord, for those of us that, that seek to walk after you in obedience, to follow along in, in ministry, serving our Savior. 
Lord, let us be bold in, in working against the deceitfulness of sin by going and asking for help, by offering help to our brothers and sisters in the gospel. God, you are gracious to us. And so, Lord, I pray that your revival would happen in our own hearts, that you would bring about real change in each one of us, that you would be the God of grace and mercy who meets with your people and who leads us in revival. Lord, help us not to harden our hearts but to turn back to you in faith. Father, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.